Well, um, our, I was just really reminded of this, even in our, as you know, we're in the sanctuary, and we uh, have you all moving up, for most of us, moved up, um, and we have those, if you all saw the reserved uh, signs, but it's kind of funny because there's actually um, reserved for the choir signs there, and it's the foundry signs. And um, there's a bunch of these reserve signs, reserved for the choir, and then there's a reserve for the pastor sign. And I just kind of wondered to myself, why don't they have a reserved for the church member sign? Why does our even, and I'm not saying this in a judgment way, but why does our culture is just saturated by so much honorific titles and things that laud us and titles and um, just status and wealth? I mean, we see that all over our culture, right? You think about, you don't know the, the poorest people in the world. You know the Fortune 500. You know the richest people in the world. You also know, um, as, as you're thinking about social media, you're, you're seeing Instagram and you're seeing Facebook feeds and you're tempt, tempted to posterize the best version of yourself to show that, hey, look at how great my life is. Um, we even saw, oh, I didn't see it, but I saw it later in a Broadway or a musical program where if you look under the cast of characters and you look under their bio, you see massive list of what that person has played and where they have played it. Um, you see so much references of people who have, there's pride months for people who come from a certain heritage. You see it in any bio, LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever you are. You're always listed to put down what degree you have or what school you have, whether you've graduated summa cum laude or magna cum laude or just cum laude. And uh, just a funny story out of that, I think back in college, I was all into being um, at the top of my class. And I was so concerned of having this cord that would identify me as a summa cum laude graduate. And um, I wore it with pride only to realize that I was wearing it wrong. <laughs> Instead of having two cords, I actually had only one cord. And uh, it kind of burst my bubble a little bit. Even in our um, just Chinese heritages, I think we have this idea that there's some kind of distinction whether you are ordained or not ordained, and there's separate names for pastors um, and that describe each, th each position. And I can't imagine, and as I'm thinking through all this, I can't imagine how Paul just cuts through it like a bullet ripping into paper of what this passage is actually speaking to Back in this time, Paul's words in Philippians is going to speak into a culture like, very much like our culture that prizes power. And his concern is not about honorific titles or status or hierarchy. It's about something else. And yet Paul takes this whole idea of honor 
and shame and preoccupation with honor and titles and turns it on his head. And that's what I want us to see here today. Um, when we look at he, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to see just two things in which uh, Paul is really striving for here. He says that there is two ways in which to pop the bubble of their pride and arrogance in their status. Those two things are in these verses that, uh, that uh, Grant read and that Paul wrote in this passage. Look with me in verses 1 through 4. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Paul had just given his highest commendation to Epaphroditus and uh, Timothy just for being soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. He called them to um, just a radical selflessness and commended them for that. And now he calls to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. Um, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Well, this combination leads to his sharpest condemnation. After this, this call to worship, as you know, we're just finishing up our call, our worship series for this summer. We're going to be diving into um, our vision series. Um, Jake is going to just jump in and talk a, bit, a little bit about the foundation of our vision and uh, framing it within discipleship and talking about three circles. And then after that will be encounter. And then really looking forward to Randy speaking on money and stewardship and then jumping into our vision series. Um, but you would just think that he would just have a lot of happy things here. But here, look at what he says. He says, watch out for the dogs. Or look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoer. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. How do you go from here to saying rejoicing God and then saying look out for the dogs that are coming in? Well, Paul's concern here is just the false teachers that have been infiltrating the Philippian church. The Philippian church had been so concerned about status and money that the church actually took on that same dynamic. And what we here see here is that the people who were Judaizers or Jewish were saying, you know what, you're a believer, but you know what would make you better is if you were truly Jewish. If you were circumcised like every Jewish person here, that's going to make you a better Christian. And that's what the Jewish people um, did. And they had a great joy in doing that. For Jewish believers, circumcision was rightly important. And what they would do is that they would uh, circumcise the foreskin uh, of a male uh, genitalia on the eighth day of life. And that would signify the entrance into the Jewish community. And circumcision was, was really synonymous with saying, I am a Jewish person and I'm part of this privileged covenant community. I'm a son of Abraham. 
And I, because I'm a son of Abraham, I get all the perks that comes in with it. This ain't no Costco membership, right? This is the Jewish membership. And with that, you are known by God. You are promised by God. You are in that covenant community. But now that these Judaizers came, they are still insisting, you might be you might be in Jesus, but you know what? You're not really one of us if you're, unless you're circumcised. And Paul is just under arms with such an assumption. And he tells them, you dogs. <laughs> now, I hope I, didn't, I hope I didn't offend your pet poodle um, or your pet terrier. I know y'all love dogs. Um, and so this might be a little hard to read, but... The dogs back in those days, they were not as nice and pretty and well-groomed. They were just uh, scavengers who would run wild and scrounge around for food. They're kind of like how we would view rats or even our friends, the cockroaches. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I call it friend. Um, And that's how Jews actually viewed the Gentiles. Jews would use these racial slurs like dogs to describe Gentiles as unclean. And Paul just used this slur in a words to describe these Jewish teachers. But this is really hiding the beauty of the gospel. Instead of having to make yourself Jewish and circumcision um, showing what actually happened on the inside, right? These Judaizers were hiding the real beauty of the fact that it's not about what you are on the outside. It's about who you've believed in your heart and who have you put your confidence in, in your heart. And Paul says here in verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, look, there's no reason to boast. And he's not just pitting external rights. He's just not saying that everything on the outside is, is wrong. And he's not just putting it against internal spiritual services as if it is only um, or it, that anything external is bad. But he was just contrasting two ways you can live. You can either live by the flesh, by your own confidence, and by your own works, or you can live by the spirit. And Paul insists that Christians are identified not by a physical circumcision, but by a spiritual circumcision that goes deeper than any human knife can actually do. They have undergone a spiritual circumcision of the heart by the spirit and not by the written code. In other words, they have put their trust and their faith in Christ, and that's what defines them. Not on this outside rights. It's not whether you've been circumcised or what tribe you are. Paul is saying that worship, true worship comes from the heart. And as um, Jashana just shared, it's about the radical love that you have for Jesus that really, really matters. And so that's the first thing here. Paul is concerned about the unity of the church. And he says the first thing that is going to ground you and build up your unity is the fact that you have a right understanding of what worship is. Worship flows from the heart. And there's nothing that's added that you can do to add on to that to make you more privileged or prized or treasured in God. 
Now, the second thing is this. What's the second thing that helps to bridge and build up unity? It's actually a radical humility. And this kind of seems like Paul's actually coming up and taking his brag sheet and just saying, hey, I'm better than everybody else here, and I'm going to tell you why. It's almost like the reserve for pastor sign or the reserve for the choir sign and saying, hey, I'm going to use my position and my title to say I'm better than y'all. Look at here. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Now, you've got to read this in the backdrop of the fact that Philippi was a part of a Roman colony. And because it was a part of a Roman colony, there was this major stratification here. This is so bad that it, this is the only time that Luke writes in Acts, and he calls this a Roman colony. You can see that in Acts 16, 12, even though Paul, along his missionary journeys, stopped over eight different cities that were actually Roman colonies. So you've got to read this through a Roman backdrop. One that had been founded in 42 BC, had been founded by the proudest, the most military, in, the most highest in rank in terms of military, that you can manage commanders and generals. They founded this city. It was their money that actually built up this city and, 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 and made it to be what it was. It was a Roman colony that if you were somebody or somebody in the Roman Empire, you were there. That was where you put your retirement home. Um, and so this city was full of military folks. They didn't take the majority, but literally there's such a hierarchy in this entire town. This is reflected in the pay scale. For example, the, uh, the highest person in the Roman Empire, and that was a spear thrower, <laughs> earned 60 times that of a lowly foot soldier. Now get that and compare that to the U.S. standards in the U.S. military. The highest ranking general makes six times as much as the lowest ranking commission officer, which is a lieutenant. So you can see that as much of a stratification in our military, how much more it was as they were living in the, in the Philippi area. I mean, we would be in a different place if we were in the middle of Washington, D.C., and we, we sat there on Capitol Hill and... Um, you know, who you were and who you sat next to and who you affiliated with would probably be based on your political party, your position, your title, your power, and how much money you have, right? That's kind of how that would, that's what Philippi probably felt like. They were called about rank and honor and status. And in fact, we did see that there was a social hierarchy that affected the church too. There's a distinction between elites, or elites and non-elites, and even the non-elites who lived during that time also put a lot of emphasis on their resume. And they would call this their cursus honorum. In, in one of the non-Christian cults of the time, people would put in, so they can put in their cursus honorum, which is our resume. They put in financially how much they had given to such and such a temple. And they made sure it was inscribed so everybody can see it. And actually, when you, when you read here, Paul is really concerned. He does not want the Philippians to cave into that pressure of seeing that it's all about rank and title. 
when you, you read Paul's words in 3, 4 through 6, it actually reads like a cursus honorum. If you think about it, it's really short too. When you take a look at the chapter 3, you see that it's super short. It's just a list. He says, circum, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuted the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And what you see here is just two things. There are things that Paul had, was born into, and there was a list of things that he acquired over time. If you want to just kind of separate them, they're like ascribed honors, which is the first three, and then the acquired honors, which is the last three. And so when you look at it, you see circumcised the eighth day. It's basically saying, hey, I am as a Jewish person as I can think of. Secondly, I'm of Israel's race. So it's my membership. It's my tribal origins. And Paul was saying, I'm a tribe of the Benjamins, uh, a tribe of Benjamin, one of only two tribes that did not rebel against the Davidic dynasty, and Israel's king was actually from Benjamin. But Paul is not just pointing to that, but he's just pointing to his citizenship. And then he's pointing to what he's done. He says, he's acquired honors regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. I mean, you're listening to this and you're just like, wow. Paul, you're either full of yourself <laughs> or I want to be like you. You might be looking through this and maybe thinking through your own CV, your own resume. And every single person who would listen to this would say, Paul, man, I want to be like him. He is an outstanding citizen. He is a Jew of the Jews. And this is where Paul turns it completely on his head. Paul says, this is not what the church is all about. and This is not the substance of my relationship with Jesus. If you just picture, picture, just close your eyes and picture for a, for a minute that you were part of the Philippi church and you were part of this radical move of the spirit in which Paul came and he preached to um, the gospel faithfully. And he reached a slave girl. He reached um, somebody of the lowest strata all the way to the top strata, a Philippian jailer. Um, in which he preached the gospel, and then the whole grounds was shaken, and the prison was broken, and the, the, the prison bolts that they were chained to were unfastened. And this Philippian jailer came to Christ. And then you got this rich dealer and merchant, Lydia, who is on the highest part of the totem pole. And here, these are the first people who have given their life to Jesus Christ. And this is part of the church that you are a part of. This is as varied as you would have gotten. And start people from high and low, from different strata, from the lowest all the way to the highest, start becoming a part of this church. And you're fighting for the unity of the church. And yet all these social divisions are driving them apart. They're struggling in unity, and they're also trying not to cave in from the outside pressures, from all that was, that was coming in from the, the inside. And then a hush comes in when Epaphroditus comes in, and he announces, I have a letter from Paul. 
and you wonder what Paul would say. And the first thing that comes out of the mouth of the guy who reads the letter is this. Paul, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the entire church, along with the overseers and deacons. Then later on, it talks about how Paul mentions that I'm so proud of you that you have been striving along for the unity of the gospel. And then Paul says, hey, don't look at your own interests, but look at the interests of others. Count yourself as more important, um, or count others as more important than yourselves. And look to Jesus, who has emptied himself and even emptied himself to the point of death. Dying on the cross and then rising again. And you hear Paul's words of saying that is what unity looks like. This is where unity lies. It is not how much honor you have. It's not how much money you have. It's not how much power you have. It's how much you model the heart of Jesus. And then against that backdrop, he says in verse 7, chapter 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. can open your eyes. But seen against this backdrop, we see that Paul has a mission. He is just taking his cursus honorarium and he tosses it literally in the trash. He sees it as foul-smelling garbage compared to knowing Christ because that is the only thing in life that will, that is, and that does matter, that he may gain Christ. So you can take that whole left column in your CV that whole left column of all of your achievements and your accomplishments and your inborn recognitions and status, and you can just take that out because the only thing that I am wanting and desiring is Jesus. Whew. Paul is incredible to say that. In other words, he's not, he's taking what he already rightfully has and he's giving it up. And, uh, and uh, that, that's so powerful. Have you thought about, have you thought about that? What does it look like to only say that everything that I've gained in my life, I'm going to just take that, take that out like yesterday's garbage. If you think about it, that is profound. I mean, we were, um, I was, my brother-in-law was helping me change the oil in my car. 
and uh, hadn't really done it before, and so we did. And um, as I was loosening the bolt of the oil, it just came out in like a steady black stream, like just dirty. I mean, it was due. <laughs> it was like a, I think it's been like a year since I, um, since I uh, did my oil in my car. Uh, and all the kids, they were looking at it because they had the tools, they had their ratchets and all that, and they were helping. They were like, ew. And, uh, yeah, Felix was like, ah, you know, the, the oil is like, you know, the, what real oil should look like, it should look like honey. So, um, so when Ian, my youngest, he came in to the house, you know what he was saying? He's like, mommy asked him, what, do you, what did you do? He's like, oh, I changed the honey on the car. <laughs> um, and it was, it was so funny because that's what oil should look like. Not like that black, nasty stuff. And my biggest thing is like, where's that stuff going to go? Ugh. Paul is saying, everything you held most dear in your life, your accomplishments, your graduation, your GPA, your titles, what you have ever done for the church, your church attendance, how long you've been a Christian, how long you've, you know, been able to recite, how many Bible verses that you could ever have, all those things you count as lost for the sake of what? Knowing Christ and to be found in him. There's so many times that I find myself wrestling with this and I find myself thinking um, about my earthly accomplishments and glorying in it too much. And I wonder if that's something that you're struggling with. Oh, I've been in this church for so many years. I've been a pastor for this many years. I've preached this long. I've discipled this many people. Um, I've done this and this and this. And Paul was speaking to my heart. He was saying, be aware of the confidence that you put in your own flesh. Because you need to be prepared to die for me. Look in verse 10, 11. I, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says, there's nothing more in my life, nothing more that I want is to know that I will obtain the resurrection from the dead. And what does that resurrection from the dead look like? It looks like fully being like Jesus in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, in who you are, and then loving and prizing who Jesus is. And I want to know Christ like Paul. And I want to know Jesus just like that. And not to just boast. You know, I want to know him personally. And I don't think I'm there yet. I struggle with a lot of pride and arrogance and so much focus on external things. But I want to find when it's all said and done, if there's nothing said on my tombstone, I just want this to say, the tombstones to say this, Jesus that the here, here lies a Jesus, a Jesus lover who lies in glory and is in glory and who loved him and surrendered to him. Is that what you want? Is that your desire? And is that your church, your desire for our church? 
that we would take our cultural fascinations of pride and power and titles and throw it completely out the window and just say, whether God, you've called me to a mud hut, whether you've called me to rest and pray, whether you've called me to this school that I'm teaching in, whether you've called me to this family and to homeschool, if you've called me to this, uh, this, 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 uh, this responsibility, whatever it is, that you would just say, Jesus, I want to do and I want to live like Paul. That he would count everything as loss for the sake of loving Jesus and loving him and being like Jesus, not only in our life, but also in our death. Um, maybe if you guys can, as we just close, um, just to take a, a piece of paper or just to think and spend some time in prayer right now and visualize on one side, it's um, all the things you've ever done and that you're tempted to take pride in. And then on the other side, just one word, Christ, to know Christ and to be found in him. And I just would love for us to just spend and sit in that, of just saying, is Jesus my everything? And just coming before him and just honestly asking him, Jesus, be everything want this to be true of me and I want this to be true of my church. God, give me a humility. Give me a brokenness. Give me a sense of that, Jesus. This, this is all, you, you are all that I need. And then with that, I'm just going to ask the worship team to come and, and uh, we're going to just, um, just sit in that for a little bit and, um, and that uh, we would just really spend some time just meditating on the fact and that question. So let's go and do that, and let's pray as we invite the worship team to come up and our prayer partners to come up as well, and our prayer team. Let's just spend some time coming before the Lord Jesus right now. Let me pray us into this time. Father, thank you so much. Jesus, you're really beautiful, so beautiful, more than what we can ever see, more than what we can ever imagine. And God, as much as we would love to be a people that is defined by power and what we do or how much we own or all those things that the world lauds and applauds, Jesus, you're calling us to be countercultural. You're calling us to be a people that's not about those things. You're calling us to lose our life before we, before us, before you, so that we can gain it. You're calling us to throw off the things and that would cause us boasting and arrogance and pride. And you're calling us to empty ourselves. And Jesus, you're also calling us, God, to cruciformity, to be more and more like Jesus, to know you, to only want one thing and to know you and your death and your resurrection, to be conformed to your sufferings, to be like you. Jesus, may that be our heart today. We worship you and be with us now. Move in spirit, move in power. Strengthen us now as we pray, as we spend time before you.